0: Welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 70. And as always, you're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, today we do have a special guest joining us on the podcast, and his name is Kyle Weber, which I'm sure many of you would know from Instagram as the physique coach. So we're super grateful to have Kyle here on the show today, and we're going to be talking about everything, you know, post-show recovery and uh, also some different nutritional strategies too. So thanks so much for joining us today, Kyle. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: So before we get uh, started into the content of the episode, do you want to just tell us or and the audience a little bit more about yourself and how you got started in the health and fitness industry and where you are today?
2: Um, I got really big calves. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Um, And I don't do anything for them. But I, (laughs) uh, I got started because I was like a more overweight kid in primary school. And I really didn't like the way that I looked. And I got vivid memories of being like 10 years old. And I was on a family holiday in Adelaide. And I looked at myself in the mirror. And I just hated the way that my body looked. And I'm not sure why. I don't know what actually contributed to it. But for some reason, I didn't look the way that I wanted to. And there were like kids in school that were really good at running and gymnastics and everything. And like had six packs. I thought really it was just because they were malnourished. But wow, that's awesome. I want that. So I just decided to starve myself from when I was 10. And um, that didn't really work out too well. So I ended up trying to eat a little bit more and I got more obsessed with, uh, with actually being able to be a little bit stronger. Um, and then I started running, got into that. I enjoyed the feelings that I had from exercising. And I remember getting into, getting into high school and um, that's when girls started becoming apparent to me. And I was like, "Wow, there's like these feelings and stuff that you can get. So I thought I'd go out, I'd jump on my trampoline because that was really good exercise at the time. And I was thinking over and over <laughs> again in my head, if I can just jump on this trampoline for like five more minutes, and this girl's gonna like me. And um, I was always too shy to actually speak.
1: That's to maybe her. how
2: the carbs started. Absolutely, yeah. And then and how I got into bodybuilding. Um, I remember getting more and more into um, the comments that I'd get from people. So people would sort of you know make comments on my carbs or they'd um, see that I'd be exercising all the time or I'd be going to the gym and whatever. And I started at the gym when I was 14 and it was really great at that time because there was a lot of older dudes around that would see me getting in there young and I wasn't really supposed to be training there, but the bloke that ran the gym, it was like a footy gym and it was pretty relaxed back then. So some of the older guys kind of just took me under their wing and made sure I went down a decent path with it and were motivating and stuff, which was awesome. And then I started to get more and more into wanting to be bigger. wanting to be stronger and uh, I found some forums online, I was googling how to get big biceps. And I used to just do like however many curls I could with a two and a half kilo dumbbell in my bedroom. And then that obviously wasn't working either. <laughs> so um, I found I found the internet, and I found some different. Uh, I found some different people back then. Phil Heath like wasn't even pro, but he was sponsored by a company called MetaX. Um, and Greg Plitt was still around, and I used to really look up to those guys because they put out a heap of videos. And so I started seeing them, and thought, wow, I really want to. Really want to look like that one day. And then that got me into seeing all bodybuilders and the physiques that bodybuilders actually had. And I remember going on forums and I was seeing a photo of like Ronnie Coleman. And it was this like iconic glute shot that he's got where he's wearing, I think he's wearing like purple sparkly trunks. And it's just a shot of him from behind, not hitting any pose. And his ass is just striated like crazy. And I remember looking at that and just going, why am I so attracted to a bloke? <laughs> And that just drove me insane for the next two years of my sexuality. Um, but then I understood a little bit later on that um, it's actually normal in bodybuilding. And I just wanted to have a shredded ass from that point onwards.
1: Wow, that seems like the very, I don't want to say stereotypical because it is individual for you, but I can, there's a lot of parts of that that definitely resonate with myself. Maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, probably more so recently the shredded ass, but definitely coming from like a place of insecurity and then um the feels uh come into play as well and then getting slowly learning more and more about gym and training and yeah
2: (laughs) absolutely yeah it kind of just compounds you know like i wanted to be a chef when i was younger and then that very very quickly learned leaned into me wanting to be a pt so i did that for six months and hated every second of it so i went well i still want to do something involved with fitness but i don't want to actually have to be there with people (laughs) so let's think online and see what happens
0: So Kyle, you know, how did how did you then transition into competing and becoming a coach yourself?
2: The competing was always my goal. Um, I always wanted to step on stage from when I was about twelve, thirteen. I thought, wow, like this is something that maybe I could do one day. Um, and I started properly dieting, um, probably from around fifteen. Uh, when I say properly, it means that. I had a decent level of understanding of what protein was and what carbs were and I needed to eat more than what I burned off and all that kind of stuff. And so I started, Mm -hmm. you know, prepping my meals, taking my meals to school, um, having my cold chicken and everything. And that was quite normal for me. And it didn't really affect anything. Um, I just knew that I was really focused on wanting to get on stage one day. And so I did that for six years before my first comp. Um, and I was really just dedicated on thinking that if I was to step on stage, I wanted to make sure that I actually looked like I belonged there. And, of course, my first prep, I didn't belong there at all. I just looked absolutely terrible. I was this now 19 19-year-old kid that <laughs> really just had muscle. Um, but the second one, I decided, no, no, no. Like That gave me the fire to come back the next year and actually do really really well because i put everything into that first prep and i'm sure a lot of first-time competitors would be able to resonate with it um when you're deciding to get down the path of prepping whether you've been doing it for a year whether you've been doing it for you know five or six years like i had before getting into it um you still d- want to do really well it's still a big goal that you have mm-hmm. and train like it means something to you um i ended up building a gym in my dad's in my dad's garage and um i put myself through hell there you know like i I got food poisoning and I remember vividly benching in between sets and I'd like do a set to bench and then roll over, throw up, get up, sprint up a hill, throw up again, come down the hill, bench again, throw up again. I remember um, when it was freezing cold because Canberra is pretty much like Antarctica in winter. <laughs> um, I remember my hands would stick to the barbell that I had in my garage because it was frozen and um, I used to go outside with a, boiler, a jug of water take that outside and um, dip my hands in the boiling water. And for some reason I thought this will balance it out because it's so (laughs) cold, it won't burn. And so <laughs> I'd dip my hands in that and uh, then be able to do a set of deadlifts and then <laughs> my hands would freeze again. So I'd, like, you know, dip my hands in the water again and balance it out. You know, these days I think if, if my kid did that and I knew about it, I'd slap him.
0: <laughs> Jesus, you you know, you hear about first-time competitors and young competitors having learning experiences, but I've never heard any
2: of these oh, <laughs> as did.
0: learning experiences before.
2: <laughs> well, back then, you know, I didn't have – the like, competing wasn't a big thing. There wasn't even female divisions. And um, it it was something for me where the only exposure that I had to bodybuilders was on forums. And that in itself isn't the greatest. But the mindset back then was just you do whatever it takes. And so that was built into me to just do whatever it takes. And so from a young age when you don't have any other influence going, hang on a second, that's probably not the best. Or when I did have that, so say my mum would go, Kyle, this thing's getting a little bit out of hand. She wouldn't know about the half of it. So I'd go, (laughs) I'm just going to tell you about the rest. (laughs) And um, And, that just became that became something that I I really I really enjoyed the discipline that it gave me. I enjoyed the the personal satisfaction that I got out of seeing what I could do with myself and with my body and and pushing myself for new things. And I always did other types of exercise, too. So, you know, every now and then I'd go for runs, I'd go for bike rides, I'd try to sprint around ovals and stuff like that. And it instilled that mindset to me to just want to keep doing more keep keep pushing myself further seeing what my body was really like capable of because at that time you know you're going through school or just just finished school and starting uni uh your world is just your own personal hobbies <laughs> really mm-hmm. education so there's nothing else for most people that really takes priority and so for me transitioning from that into competing it, it just it gradually built up over time but when it's your main focus and you find something that you're really into uh it's really easy for that to take over and and to build up and up and up and your motivations towards that become stronger um after i did my first comp because i did horribly you know um yeah so after that first comp um i kind of had to make a choice as to whether i really wanted to do this or whether i didn't and um i It's is something i repeat to all my first-time competitors, like getting your first one out of the way, is like a pivotal point to understanding whether this is for you or if it isn't, and you'll know straight away. You know, people that are just doing this for a challenge, there's nothing wrong with that. I used to, I used to talk down on them and think like, "What the fuck are you doing this for?" Um, there's no point in doing that if it's not for if it's not for like a long-term competitive thing. Don't just tick it off your bucket list, that kind of stuff. These days, I think that that's totally okay. I think it's okay for you to hop on stage. And if it's a personal goal for you, sweet, go ahead and do it. Um, you're not going to know if it's a, a long term thing for yourself uh, until you actually get that first one done. And then once you get it done, you will know straight away if it's something that you like, uh, if the stage and the experience is something that you enjoy, or if it's something that you absolutely hate. You know, I've had first time competitors hop off stage and go, I'm coming back and winning this next year and you know like that's exactly what I did so I know that that stays there um, I've also had first-time competitors get off stage even after winning and then come off stage crying and they had that an absolutely terrible experience for whatever reason uh, that's when you know it's not for you um, and trying to hang on to those thoughts and feelings is,
1: is only gonna make it worse the longer that you do it for and yeah one of one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on today is that a lot of people do focus on that journey towards the stage and um, maybe misinformed coaches or competitors themselves make some pretty rash decisions to get to that stage and sort of do whatever it takes and not quite as much as focused on the post-recovery period and how they conduct themselves um, their lifestyle their uh, mental habits during that period so we wanted to touch on that um, as our main bulk of the podcast today and sort of get your thoughts on how that's conducted and your approach as well
2: so yeah post-comp everyone struggles with it
1: like you
2: guys are done comps, and I'm sure your first post comp experience was way different from whatever your last post comp experience was.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like my first post comp experience was I had all my friends in high school that I'd neglect to go into their like birthday parties for. I didn't drink or anything, so I'm like, nah, I'll go stick to my diet. Um, my drinking age finished when I was like 16 <laughs> and then I got into it a little bit later. But for, for a large majority of the time, I was like, nah, all I care about is my bodybuilding. Um, and then there was this really dodgy Chinese all you can eat restaurant. That we here. And I, I don't even know if they're still around, but that was like, that was the goal. It was like, get off this stage and then just go binge like crazy. And um, you do that once or twice and you realize that one, there's something severely wrong with you if you're going to be doing that <laughs> all the time. I made myself sick a couple of times and was like, nah, you got to put yourself together and you got to pull yourself out of this. Um, there was times where I noticed myself um after my first comp for maybe a month or so where I just didn't have an off switch like I would just eat whatever because my body hadn't been used to such a prolonged caloric deficit um or, or such prolonged low energy energy availability and you know I had no idea about any of that stuff back then uh none of that made sense most people didn't know what any of that meant either um so all these things that I was experiencing, just binging and being tired all the time and having zero testosterone, all that kind of stuff just confused me because I didn't have any answers for it. And it was sort of like, well, you could reach out to people, you could talk about it and other people experienced it. But it was like, yeah, it's just part of it. You know, like bodybuilders, they died, they got off stage, they got fat afterwards and then they got back into dieting again at some point when they wanted to sit on comp. And I thought, well, I feel absolutely terrible being like that like how long is this going to last for and especially if you make a large part of your identity dieting and training and looking a certain way that identity can cause you to have this almost like imposter syndrome where you're binging you're restricting yourself you're not going to the gym you're not doing cardio your body doesn't look the way that people think it should or that you think it should uh in relation to the effort you've put into it you start to beat yourself up and, and you start to lose the identity that you've built up for yourself as well especially if you've made it from a young age or from the get-go all about being fit and, and looking a certain way and so that kind of paved the way for me to try to focus on it a little bit more and after I started coaching people I noticed that it wasn't just me it was a large majority of people and I was very fortunate in the sense that I was able to pull myself out of it really quickly. And I don't want to say easily because it, it feels easy when I look back to it, but at the time it was really difficult and I just managed to get through it quickly because I snapped and I was just like, no, like you want to do this for the long term. You want to stay in this lifestyle. You want to be healthy. You want to be a good role model for other people. People got to you. You've got to you know, actually practice what you preach. Um, And that wasn't me going. I don't binge. I don't go crazy on food. It was me being able to say, "Look, yeah, I've done it before. Here's what happened, and here's a normal human response for these reasons and these issues that occur during a comp prep." So I started to focus on that, and I started to think, "Well, maybe maybe that could be a little bit different. When if I'm focusing on trying to get people to be healthier afterwards and to protect them from these issues that are occurring, that should kind of become like my my new focus." So. After I went through prepping people, like, at the end of the day, dieting for bodybuilding is no different to dieting normally, just for the sake of wanting to lose a little bit of weight. Um, you could argue that it needs to be a little bit more strict, but I just think it's a little bit more prolonged than anything else. Um, and for me, I just sort of thought, well, that's not interesting for me. Like, I know how to get people on stage. I know how to get people to, to lose body fat. That's pretty simple, yeah? You just eat eat less, and if you don't eat less, just throw up until you've got less energy in you. Um and I decided that that probably wasn't the best, you know, way to take it anymore. So I wanted to focus more on trying to get people to help them recover afterwards. And again, back then there was no research around uh, recovery because there was no research on bodybuilders in general. Um, this is when like Eric had just done Eric Helms had just done a couple of shows. I used to follow him on, on the forums all the time. Um, he hadn't even moved to New Zealand at that point. Three DMJ just gotten started for a couple of years. Um, there was no research around anything, so everyone was just kind of winging it and basing it off of experiences and I sort of thought well because I've had these bad experiences with it I can empathize with other people that are having the same experiences after a competition and rather than try to say to them hey you know like get your shit together and stop binging more like empathize a little bit and think well okay look this does happen I understand it happens and then educate them on why it may be happening and then, as more information started coming out, it became more of a thing. And and now, post comp is, is an actual period that we know can be uh, I don't want to say reverse or fixed, but it can be like um it can, it can be improved for a lot of people. So once I got into a little bit more research about it, we sort of um started to come up with some theories about what we could do. Um, and then there was a lot of different arguments about. Whether you should get back to normal as quickly as possible, or whether you could like reverse diet. And for me, like I started this whole reverse dieting thing. I was like, Nah, I've heard about this. I'm going to follow that bandwagon and see what happens. And um, it was pretty much just, you know, I'm going to try to slowly increase my calories up and up and up until I get to a certain point. And all that did for me was get myself from eating 1,200 calories to about 1,400 calories over the space of six months, <laughs> thinking that adding 20 grams of carbs every month is going to make a big difference, right? And, uh, then I realized that this is bullshit and this is probably why I'm not progressing and I'm stuck in the same spot that I shouldn't be. Um, and so I started to, I kept it with the same thing, but so I was just, you know, increase things a little bit quicker. Um, and then with my own clients, I did the same thing. So I would make bigger increases and I noticed that as I made bigger increases, some people would freak out more. So the more food that I would give them, if they'd been used to, not having a lot of food or not having a lot of food volume, they'd freak out more if I was to give them more food. And so they'd either restrict or they'd go way overboard. Um, And then that will cause them to just binge and then restrict again. So I was like, shit, I'm keeping people in the same cycle no matter what I do. (laughs) Like, clearly this this isn't working. It's going to be something different. And so I changed my approach based off my next comp. So that was at about maybe 2014. Um, So this is a good, you know, extra five-year gap in between. And after my next comp, uh, by that time, like, my daughter was about, I think she was about eight months old then, and I couldn't afford to care about reverse dieting and stuff. Like, I just needed to get back to normal because I had, like, a less than one-year-old kid. You know, you gotta, you got you to gotta move your routine around a little bit as best as you can. And, um, you know, for me, I, I couldn't focus on that reverse dieting. I noticed that I was able to keep my physique pretty in check by just getting myself back to eating normally and that the body wasn't going to freak out like crazy if I did just go back to doing what I was doing before starting dieting. Um, Yeah, I might have gained a little bit of body fat, but I didn't feel too bad about myself and I still had abs. I still had lines in my quads. I was still strong, Um, but if anything, I was a hell of a lot happier and I wasn't tired to trying to keep a certain physique the whole time. So I started implementing that with clients and um it was kind of hit and miss like some people could take to it other people were like why aren't we reverse dieting I want to be able to reverse diet I need to be increasing my calories by x amount every week and I'm like yeah look honestly if you do that trust me you're gonna end up binging <laughs> or you're gonna end up always checking yourself like and now we know that a big you know contraindication of post-conf like psychological health is frequent body checking and frequent body checking really really quickly leads into things like you know bulimia or anorexia or in or any type of body dysmorphic pathology so i kind of try to educate people further on just getting back to normal as best as possible and now the process has changed from normal being normal used to be getting back to the original starting calories and the original starting macros and following the same plan that you were doing that's what i used to do i go back to all right hey Get back on the diet that you're on, you know, like four weeks out, and then do that for two weeks. And then after that, get back to the diet that you're on at like 16 weeks out. Um, And then I decided that that probably wasn't normal either because Mm -hmm. dieting, what we do as bodybuilders, isn't really normal. (laughs) And it's not really conducive to a normal everyday life. Now, for some people, it can be highly beneficial, but I think there also needs to be a little bit of um, leniency in there. And I'm not talking about like being flexible and and counting macros and trying to fit things in every way you can, but I'm more mean having the nutritional literacy around to be able to know what you like to eat every day, eat the same things whenever you feel like it, eat different things when you feel like it, weigh things if you want to, but if not be comfortable with throwing things into a bowl or into a pan and just eating it because you, you feel like it knowing that it's going to be healthy and good for you. And that doesn't mean that you're making the choice to, to eat that way. It means that it's just become your normality. And I wanted to try to teach people how to do that because a big problem that I started to notice um, in in the industry and especially even with my coaching in general was that when you get people following something really, really strict for a long period of time, you cause them to lose a sense of what normal is for them. And then trying to transition back into whatever that is is really, really difficult. And because as bodybuilders we've got these kind of like deep-seated control complexes, right? Like we like to control how we look. We like to control our bodies. um, And because of that, we like to control what goes into them. So we like to control the weights of things. We like to control the macros. We like to control knowing that doing this thing is going to give us X result. And then if we don't do it, it causes us to go crazy. So therefore, when that's not around, if we don't have those elements of control, it's really, really easy for people that have been so used to that to completely lose it. And, you know, look at our... Look at this whole pandemic at the moment, right? People lose access to the gym and it causes them to go and drop 15, 20 grand on gym equipment, right? Now, I don't think I've spent that much money on gyms in my entire life of training and I've been training in gyms for about 15 years now. I don't think I've spent that much on gym memberships. Now, there's nothing wrong with going out and doing that, but it's a really clear sign of when you lose control over something that is important to you, you will find a way to regain that control back again. And there's two sides to look at it, right? Like that can be a very healthy thing for you to do um, because it it lets you be in control of different variables so that whatever happens in your life, you know a way to get around it. Um, But it can also be detrimental if it's going to lead into other things where sometimes something will happen, like you might lose your job um, because of a virus and all of a sudden there's nothing that you can do about it. You just kind of have to sit there and deal with it. And I feel like that is highly relatable to bodybuilding and the bodybuilding lifestyle Um, because we do rely so much on heavy amounts of control. Uh, Control ends up being something that makes us feel happy and feel comfortable. When that's not there, we don't know what to do. And so that leads into why we see so many people going through post-competition depressive cycles and feeling way off track, having no goals anymore. So what I like to focus on these days is, not only getting people back to uh, get, getting to a new level of normal and, and restoring their bodies from a physiological standpoint, getting them back up to you know eating at maintenance calories as quickly as possible rather than reversing it out, but also getting them back to being able to eat without food scales and being able to look at food and just like consume something that they feel like, understanding their hunger patterns again. Because when you've been experiencing such a low energy availability for an extended period of time, you're grilling you left in a shot like you got no idea what's going to make you hungry and what's going to make you feel full so over a period of time that goes and we've got to build that back so these days i focus more on getting people back to understanding how to feel and how to eat properly um, not just from a, an after bodybuilding competition phase but more an after bodybuilding in general phase so that you can healthily transition back into doing a comp again if you want to uh, not just not just physically but mentally too for
0: about 15 <laughs> no it's fa- it's fantastic kyle and so would you say pretty much that you obviously follow more of a like a recovery diet it which was pretty much coined by 3dmj like you said you get your competitors right back up to maintenance calories rather than that slow reverse diet because what a lot of people don't realize is that with a reverse diet right after your show, you know, you are in such a severe caloric deficit from your maintenance. If you're only adding like 20 grams of carbs every single week or every single month, geez, right, you're still in a deficit. So it's still, you're still dieting. So a lot of people need to understand that, I think.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Um the process I follow these days is getting people back to within 10% of their maintenance for the first two weeks. And, and this is something that like Alex and I through SNA teach through our, through our uh, accreditation program, which you guys are coming on with too. Um, We get them back into that maintenance period. And then, after, like, two weeks or even a week sometimes, it's just straight to maintenance, like, from there. There's no reversing out of a diet. Um, reversing out is so detrimental. And there's a lot of research that's come out now, especially from, like, um, like like Guru Performance Institute that said, oh, they've changed their name now, but saying and showing us the, the difficulties and the struggles that actually occurs from extended low-energy availability. And I think people need to understand that just because your diet is – over like the whole deficit phase towards the competition is done that doesn't mean that you're back to being in a state of like high energy availability it doesn't mean that you're back to being in a surplus again once you start eating like it takes a long time for you to get yourself back to that um and if you're going to be restricting calories further and further and further um you're actually going to be doing
1: more damage to your body than what you will during the prep process in general mm-hmm. so yeah i had a question about you mentioned getting back people back to normal as soon as possible. And I think anyone who's even counted macros can testament that like once they've, once they've started counting macros, it's very difficult to like not look at food as a number or like, is this going to put me over my calories or how many calories are in this? Like, How do you judge whether someone is back to normal? Because like say, if I stopped counting macros right now, I would still look at food as okay, this has enough protein that I need in it per meal, etc
2: absolutely so i am very similar and again um this this will come from my own experience that i've found with it too uh like a lot of people will think sometimes that it's either fit and macros or it's meal plan right and i'll get i'll get called out a lot of times as being like more set meal plan than what i am macros and anti macros i'm like i'm i can only be that way because i've had a my fitness pal streak I've been on the thing for 18 months of like spot on everyday calculating things. I've done the whole eating different things and fitting foods. You know, I had a whole food log on bodybuilding.com, web 91. I used to get rep points for it every time I post <laughs> up photos of my meals and stuff like that. You know, like I, I've been there, I've done it, right? And so I know, I know what it feels like to be stuck in that spot. I know that at the time, it actually doesn't feel like it's difficult. It feels like it's, oh, wow, this is really cool because I can eat whatever I feel like and fit it in. And at that time, you know, I I didn't want to eat rubbish all the time. I would fit it in if I wanted to. But if anything, I tried to create healthier meals out of different types of ingredients. And instead of making, you know, normal brownies with sugar and syrup or whatever, I'd go and, you know, do it out of like coconut oil and beans and spinach or something like that somehow. Um, and then go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds <laughs> delicious.
0: <laughs> Spinach brownie. <laughs> I
2: once, I once put, um, chili and chocolate and bananas together thinking I'd make a satay sauce with uh, some peanuts. that didn't work out at all. And, um, anyway, that's way off track. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're a bodybuilder now. I remember you said you wanted to be a chef.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I definitely went down a, a better path. <laughs> but yeah like the point is i've been there right like i've tried everything we're trying to like you know fit things in and i understand that it is a it is a joyful experience but at some point it does get to being difficult when life starts to throw other priorities at you and when other things start to come in or if something happens that's out of your control if that is something that gets affected then it can make you go into a real slippery spiral hey and so if the whole counting phase of Um, being in control of your macros and fitting numbers every single day is for whatever reason taken away and it could be something simple like you've got a family holiday planned and you're going away and you don't have access to the internet right I've been there my I went crazy when I was counting macros you know like I would think that, oh, I can't eat this because of whatever. I you, the first thing you do. You try to find restaurants and food. Like these days, there's restaurants that will be able to fit meals for you. And there's, meal, there's like meal service companies and whatever. But, you know, if that wasn't there or if it's not there and it's not available to you because it won't always be, you'll be stuck in a spot of like freak out mode where you don't actually know what to do because you've been eating and fitting macros all the time. So what I like to do is force people out of that by – gradually getting them to introduce periods of like not counting anything and getting them to introduce periods of like, okay, we all know different portion sizes. And if you've been weighing a hundred grams of chicken breast, like four or five times a day for the last 12 months, you're going to know what it looks like. You're going to be able to look at your hand and go, yeah, it's probably about 200 grams, right? Some people might be about 500 grams. So you can look at that and go okay i understand my portion size i know what a cup of vegetables look like you know when we're when we're learning nutrition in school and i like to pull people right back to super basic stuff right you've got your hand your plate is your palm of your hand it's your portion size um and then you've got your ratios right so you've got your two fingers um, would be your carbohydrates another two fingers would be your protein and your thumb would be your fat right and you're putting those portions onto the palm of your hand to make a portion size which is going to be a fairly balanced meal most people forget that, and especially when it comes to counting macros and, and the bodybuilding lifestyle. We're eating for a purpose, you know. We're going. I need X amount to get me to X goal. Whereas X goal after a competition is normal. <laughs> so I try to give people things that will just slowly get them back into eating in patterns of what they want to do, rather than what their brain's trying to tell them to do because of whatever uh, like impairments occur because of a energy availability def- a deficit. Um, to do that I think it's best to gradually get people to take away some of that restriction so it's really hard if you spend an entire prep being super regimented and super restricted and I'll talk about a little bit later with you guys about like how I did mine but by implementing periods of like not counting so and you can even do that with like diet breaks and stuff Um, but implementing meals of not counting anything, not tracking things, trying to just judge things off of portion sizes, uh, that, that goes a long way. It makes a big difference rather than saying, oh, we can have this food now, or we can include X amount of extra carbohydrates going like, oh, well, look, here's a list of a few different variables. Like here's five different carbohydrate sources. Choose one. Don't weigh it. Aim for somewhere between 150 to 250 grams, right? So don't care about it too much if people don't understand how to weigh things um, or if people don't understand how to estimate, it's a good idea. And I like to teach them to pick up some food, guess what it might be, chuck it on a scale, see how accurate they were. You know, most of the time they'll be pretty accurate. And so that can give them the confidence to be able to break away from needing it all the time and going, yeah, look, that's about right. It's about instilling the habit of like, you know, believing that you know what you're doing. So without a food scale, some people go full crazy. Um, but if you can teach them how to Work around without it. It's amazing how further down the track you can you can progress someone's mentality from it even with little things, you know, like um, Preparing people for certain phases of being away for work or you know, a family member might be sick in hospital um, And the only thing available is a cafe, right? Um, learning different processes like that at home after a competition or, or even during a prep can be able to make them feel confident in themselves and and content with being at a hospital cafe and looking at sandwiches and going, that's probably got about 60 grams of carbs, maybe 15 grams of protein, and I can estimate maybe 20 grams of fat, right? It could be way off. It could be, you know, plus or minus 20, 30%. But the point is that you can feel comfortable in your decision-making process of going, well, it's the best that I've got right now, and it's going to cause me the less stress than having to go home somewhere or find somewhere, get something, spend 20 bucks on, you know, chicken breast and vegetables and chips that I'm not going to eat or just guesstimate how I'm doing and then balance it out for the rest of the day. Tracking macros and stuff and calorie counting is a really important skill that people need to learn. Um, but once you learn that skill, I think it's important to not stop there. I think it's important to be able to bring that back into normal levels so that every day you can now look at food and go, oh, I understand how much this is probably going to have in it. You know, we all know a fatty cut of meat when we see it, right? But we don't all know that this fatty cut of meat looks like it's about 25, 30 grams of fat. Mm-hmm. You know? So getting into the practice of trying to understand those things will help out people so much uh, afterwards. And and post-comp probably isn't the best time to be doing it. It's more during the comp process um, that that's important.
0: Yeah that really resonates with me because I've certainly been in situations you know where I have been very strict you know with very and diligently tracking my macros but then you know you go out to a restaurant or you know you go and have dinner with your family and you, you can't track it, right? But because you do have those skills, you can make an informed decision to, okay, what do I want to eat? You know, what would kind of replicate the normal amount of energy that I'd usually, you know, intake during this meal, right? And it's it really does help your self-confidence and it almost gives you like a sense of power when you can make a good decision you know and you can eat a meal out and it's very freeing and then you wake up the next day you feel the exact same you weigh the exact same you have a great training session the next day and you're like man i can do this so it is really really cool to have those skills and then be able to prove to yourself that yeah i can apply these
2: absolutely and um Like, the the feeling that you get from it is the most important thing. Um, People freak out because they think that it's going to lead them to X result because they believe that the processes that they've undertaken to get them to where they are is what's got them there Um, rather than looking at it's not so much the fact that you've been counting and tracking your macros that got you there what got you there was the ability for you to switch on the process to learning a new method to get you to a result that you want so if you can use that process to learn something else about yourself you'll then instill the confidence that you'll have to be able to do it you know most people that are tracking macros all the time now or are into a pretty consistent healthy fitness lifestyle they struggled to remember or recall vividly what it was like beforehand you know it'll still be there but the thought of not knowing what's going into you is foreign to you now so I, i certainly couldn't do it like i've been doing it for that long now that i know what i'm eating each day i've got an idea of like how much everything has into it you know i i can't look at food without having my brain within milliseconds go this has x amount of whatever <laughs> you know like you can't do it but that's not a bad thing it's a skill that like this lifestyle brings to us and it's further skill progression so if people sort of start to look at it and think well this lifestyle is all about constant progression bodybuilding is all about constant progression uh you should be constantly trying to progress in every skill set you, that you have so once yeah. you learn. You know how to stick to a meal plan you can then learn how to alter that meal plan you can then learn how to make it flexible and then once you learn that you can then learn how to make your lifestyle fit into that flexibility
0: yeah yeah so you know kyle going back to you know post-comp recovery what are some of the most fundamental components to ensure that a competitor does have a positive experience post-comp
2: they need to It really needs to be set up during the comp period, hey. Like, if you are not um, used to any kind of like stress or struggle uh if you're not used to what the feeling of not having a goal (laughs) is like um then it's unavoidable you know you're always going to go down a bit of a slippery slope now that's going to look different for everybody but it's quite normal if we don't have a goal anymore like you know a big part of motivation uh a big theory on motivation is that people need to be striving towards some type of goal um it's not to say that it's the same for everybody but There's different ways that we do get motivated. And one of the biggest troubles after competition is the lack of motivation that's around. People are also motivated by reward. So some people, after they comp, they look forward to going out and eating a big meal with their family or or with their friends. Um, So they go out and they do that. But then all of a sudden, once it's done, they don't have anything else. They don't know what to do. So we need to look at those sort of like... We need to look at those areas of motivation and instill that into everybody during the comp prep process and even before getting into a prep. We need to make sure that people understand what's important to them so we know how to set a decent goal after a post-comp period. I think if we make sure that everyone during a prep period is focused on recovery after competition rather than improvement, it makes a big difference. Because we're always focusing on being better. You know, when you're prepping every week, you're like, have I gotten leaner yet? Have I gotten bigger? Have I gotten more, you know, vascularity? Can I see new striations? Look at that. Every week, you're trying to improve something. Um, And then after that stops, you're not trying to improve anymore. Um, Whereas it's really difficult to get out of that mindset of trying to improve. So I think making it very aware and, and very open to people and saying, hey, you know, we're not trying to improve anymore. Yes, you have another competition, but it's probably not for another two years. So we're just trying to recover so you can do that competition next properly. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's a far, like that's probably one of the biggest things to focus on um, is making sure that this post-comp period is viewed as a recovery period uh, and not viewed as a progression period straight away. Uh, I think people also need to, like throughout their prep, they need to be understanding that things are going to happen that's going to throw them way off track you know i like to give people different challenges every now and then um so with my clients uh, out of nowhere i might just go hey i don't want you to track for a few days and they'll go Car, what the hell like how do i not do that i might like, just do it please <laughs> <laughs> and then and they'll go oh that's not that's but it's not my plan i don't know how to do this without sticking to a plan i'm like well I'm your coach, and your plan is to not track for three days. So, if you want to be super control freak about it, then listen to what I'm saying and don't track. You know, like that's part of your plan. Follow your plan. Otherwise, you're deviating from your plan. Do you want to do that? No, you're weak. So, (laughs) stick to it. Yeah, their heads a little bit, right?
0: Reverse psychology there.
2: (laughs) Really, but look, you know, doing little things like that it, it it helps them so much afterwards because you're instilling just small doses of. Being able to realize that things don't always need to be really, really strict in order for them to still get the result that they want, and you'll find, you know, like look at look at reverse diets. If we get somebody to reverse diet, oh, sorry, not, not reverse diets, like diet breaks. If we get someone to diet break every like you know four to eight weeks during a prep, um, they will see that increases in calories back up to like a maintenance level aren't going to ruin their physique. They'll see that periods of like not tracking and detraining aren't going to ruin their physique. If anything, it probably progresses them forward more, it makes them feel better. So because they're starting to feel better, they now know that getting to a post-comp and getting back up to their maintenance level isn't just going to not affect their physique negatively but it's also going to make them feel better it's going to give them that energy again i like to remind people uh like whenever i do implement a diet break to somebody i like to remind them to like actually take this as a proper break you know some people will do diet breaks as like um, get back up to X amount of carbs and X, you know, calories for their maintenance and whatever, and, you know, take their training down to a couple of days a week. Um, I like to make it more about doing things that they wouldn't normally do in their normal prep, you know, go and, go and visit some friends and go out and eat some stuff with people that like you would normally be saving for post-comp. You know, like take this as a time period to go and do that because it still follows the same premises of of like breaking, but you're able to get those feelings of like sociability and stuff like that where we're able to improve that and not focus on it so long. You know, like as we all know at the moment, periods of isolation can really, really mess with you, right? Now, when you're prepping, you're isolating yourself. And this is probably why bodybuilders are so okay with a lot of the things going on right now, because <laughs> isolation, like, throw it at me. I'm used to this. Like, I <laughs> to work, right? So... You know when you can get people to forcibly get out of those periods and go, hey, like let's stop isolating yourself and let's, you know, I want you to reach out to a family member this week that you haven't that you haven't spoken to in a while and just like catch up with them. I want you to go, you know, have a girls' night, see what that's like. You know, you might have put it off for the last few months and and you don't realize it. But your friends will stop, your friends will stop inviting you out because they're going to go oh, well, we didn't think you'd want to go anywhere because you're dieting and I know your prep's important to you, you know. They do it from a place of caring for you. But when you're prepping, you kind of see that in a negative light and you go, oh, you don't invite me anywhere anymore. Nobody cares about me. And it's like, well, look, someone's got to make the decision to, get, to either go, you put your shit together and uh, actually come out and, and do something. The diet's not your life. Or you've got to go, hey, you know what? I need to maintain some friendships and some relationships throughout this process. So those are some key things that I think is super important to implement. Um, and doing that like during a prep is the most important thing. You can't wait till after, like if you wait till after it's, it's going to be too late. You're not going to have those things because it's about instilling those memories, right? If you can instill the belief in somebody and to yourself that breaking a diet, going out with somebody, doing something fun, isn't going to affect your progress in any way, then after a comp, it's going to be simple for you. You know, people don't really have too many issues after a comp with doing those things. They're going to do it anyway. But it's after they do them that they fall off the wagon, you know. Mm-hmm. After they eat that meal out, then they fall off. They look forward to it, so they do it. And then it's like, oh, my God, <laughs> life, life hits and I don't know what to do. I'm a failure. You know, they, they see people. They go out and do everything. But because they haven't done it for so long, They're seeing everybody every day that they need that constant like drive of happiness from seeing people constantly that then stop any kind of diet or they stop any kind of like regular training regime. So -hmm. if you implement that kind of stuff beforehand, it, it makes it so that you can instill those patterns of normality back in after a comp.
0: Yeah, I think that is so clever, you know, to do that approach because I think it's really helping set people up for success of not yet exiting a comp prep phase and then having that all or nothing mentality but how do you you know coach your athletes through that because i'm sure there are some people who you know if they do have a diet break they like the very first time because it's very new to them they might approach it with that all or nothing mentality so how do you help competitors work through that
2: so We always need to look at that all-or-nothing mentality as having both benefits and positives. So the benefit for it in bodybuilding is it makes us so disciplined. And we pride ourselves on the discipline that we have over normal, everyday people, right? And to start with, it can be kind of like egotistical and we go, I can stick to my diet so well. Like, what are you doing? You can't even follow this plan, whatever, right? But over time, as you do it for longer and longer, you start to get a little bit more, you know, open about it and understanding and and you want to help more people out with it. So the all or nothing mindset that people have, um, we've got to kind of like pick up on it and, and make everybody aware that it can have detrimental effects too. So when we are all into something, again, like I said, once something gets taken away from us, we don't know what the hell to do. And I like to constantly question people, uh, right at the start before getting into the nitty gritty of it. So, you know, this is from like 16, 20 weeks out from a comp, right. Getting them to think about things that they wouldn't normally be thinking about during a prep or after a prep, you know, like what's something that's super important to you that you can do and you can instill into yourself, like every, every week or every month throughout the prep that won't change, that has absolutely nothing to do with bodybuilding or dieting or whatever, you know, for, um, like John Meadows, he uh, he has donut Sundays, right? And throughout a throughout a prep, um, he would always do donut Sundays without fail with his daughter, right? So didn't like wouldn't matter. You know, I was very, very similar. Like um, I would always have mango ice cream Wednesday nights, right? And I actually have a video ages ago of my daughter where I was um, eating ice cream with her and I was like, Oh you're right. did you know that like some grown-ups won't eat ice cream because they're worried about how it's gonna make him look? And she was like what? That's stupid. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Listen to a five-year-old, please. Okay. Like I think getting out of that all or nothing mindset, like it's so important, but it's important to realize it and to normalize it from both aspects. You know, we can't define our own self-worth on the discipline that we have to do things because at the end of the day, right, you know, if you're really disciplined to doing something, you are open to other aspects of it. Okay. If you're If you're disciplined, it doesn't mean that you just go down one lane and then that's it. Like, if you're doing that, that means you're ignorant. If you're disciplined, it means that you're okay with, you know, having a goal, but you're also okay with being able to stick to whatever path comes along your way and using the tools that you have to make yourself resourceful and getting it there. You know, discipline is about being, it's not about being completely like neurotic about everything right it's not about following the one process that you know you know if you want to pride yourself on your discipline then pride yourself on the ability that you can use that discipline to learn a whole bunch of different things to get you towards your goal um, and throughout a prep process i think that that's super important and also reminding people that like nothing is nowhere near what you're doing <laughs> like if you're going through a, a prep and you have a Slight slip-up on your diet and you think oh my god, I've ruined everything you've got to kind of remind them like hey Like you were doing everything spot-on having one meal off isn't a nothing switch <laughs> You know, you're still miles ahead of 80% of anybody else You're probably 95% ahead of everyone else in the whole population like You're still doing a hell of a lot more than anybody else and if anything being normal is okay You know in, in this lifestyle and we get told that it's not okay to be normal, right? We we, we strive ourselves and trying to be different than the normal person. But there comes a point where if you do that enough, you lose the ability to see that you're already different. You know, like I'm quite content with knowing like how different I am from a normal person and knowing that I'm also different from other things in the fitness industry. But it doesn't cause me to always want to strive to be something different. It's like, oh, I'm there, cool. So let's get to maintain this and maintain my sense of self. And I think, Instilling that into people is a really important thing too. A lot of people in bodybuilding, uh, and I know myself personally too, like I got into it because it, it gave me an identity. Um, it gave me something to look at. It gave me something to base how I live my life off of. And I think when people get into it from that aspect, it can bring some positivity to them, but it can also become super consuming. From a, uh, from a coaching perspective, the more that you can relate to somebody and say like, you know, I can only say this, I've had that, approach of like this is all that matters to me and if everything goes wrong then i'm screwed i've had the mindset of like if if i've broken my diet then my whole life's turned upside down for some reason you know so making people aware of that and normalizing it to them and you know being human with them is a big key to helping them understand you know how to get out of this all or nothing approach and just you know being able to share stories and if you can't then probably a good sign that you're too stuck into that mindset yourself
1: yeah, it's topics like that that really identify the importance of psychology and how little it's catered for in bodybuilding. And arguably, bodybuilding is like the sport where we need to look at it the most. And I know that you're sort of delving into that a bit more with your studies. Is that right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be studying start psych now. And it's it's super interesting because when we look at bodybuilders, like everyone's really in different um different hobbies or different jobs because of a personality, right? And when we look at bodybuilders, we can usually see that they're pretty, a successful bodybuilder is always going to be really high on the neurotic scale. Um, we might think that they're low on the extroversion scale, but they're probably pretty high on the extroversion scale. When we look at the amount of people that, you know, even though you might keep to yourself, high extroversion doesn't mean that you're an, uh, sorry, low extroversion doesn't mean that you're an introvert. It just means you don't have as much extroversion, right? So, People that are out there putting their things up on Instagram, showing their videos, like they're all okay with that. They might keep to themselves. They might label themselves as introverts, but really like that's some pretty high extroversion. If you've got the, the confidence to go out and do this, you know, Body Especially
0: build. to stand on a stage, you know, that that's a huge yeah. high. <laughs> yeah.
2: um, you know, I find that uh, bodybuilders are quite low in agreeableness. <laughs> <laughs> They don't want to listen to the norm. They don't want to do the right thing. They will listen to a coach that's telling them what to do, but that doesn't make you agreeable. (laughs) You know, it means that you can follow an instruction, but it's a little bit different. They don't want to do the normal sort of thing. You know, they're pretty high in conscientiousness, um, and you know, they're kind of moderate in in openness. You know, some bodybuilders will be open to talking about different experiences, and others won't. So the point of that was that we're all into this for very similar. Like, we're very similar people to get into this and especially very similar people that get into this to a certain level, right? So because everyone's kind of similar uh, in our personality traits when we get into it, we can kind of see, you know, what things occur between people. And also we can come up with ideas and ways that we can help to bring people through the process in a, a positive way. And it's not about trying to change anything. It's just about trying to get people to understand the issues that occur as a result of different levels of different personality traits behind individuals that are in the sport and understanding how to prevent most of these like detrimental occurrences and the the horrible levels
1: of like eating disorders and stuff from occurring in the first place yeah definitely and i think as in the next few years everyone will hopefully get a better touch on that and i'm we're both going to be going through a prep in season a next year so Uh, using all of our experiences from last time, building on them will be like a fundamental part of it.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Like a a big part of the research that um, I want to start doing is understanding the real types of people that get into bodybuilding. Um, and then using that research to understand what different approaches will be best for them after a bodybuilding lifestyle so that they can transition into a normal lifestyle when they want to um, without any severe detrimental effects now that's obviously going to take a long time to figure out but I believe that there's a big there's a big gap there and most people can't fit into in you know, a category a or category B you know most people can't just go, you know, all right just reverse diet you'll be sweet most people can't go just meal plan you'll be sweet you know there's a lot there's a lot more in between that happens and that occurs and I think that you know as as time goes on we'll start to see even more and more people struggling we'll start to see more and more people um excelling as well so I just kind of want to minimize the amount of people struggling afterwards
0: so, you know, so, you know, Kyle, we are coming up on almost an hour now, and we do want to be respectful of your time. But we just want to say thank you so much for, you know, sharing your insight on the show today. And it's it would be epic, to, you know, to have you back in future to delve even deeper into some of these topics. But, you know, one question that we always finish the show with is one interesting thing that you learned this week. And it doesn't have to be fitness or health related. Just one thing.
2: I was going to say, um, putting a a pump bottle lid on a two litre orange juice bottle works really well. But um, I also learned just then that a really nice way of getting rid of somebody is by saying, I'm really conscious of being respectful of you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no! (laughs) So (laughs) I'm going to use that one in future.
0: (laughs) oh boy I didn't mean it like that
2: (laughs) (laughs) I've got shit to do how do I say this that's something I always struggle with I don't know how to say to people I've got to go which is why I end up having three hour phone conversations all the time but next (laughs) time it's gonna be like hey I'm real respectful of
1: your time so I'm gonna let you go (laughs) I always just use the tactic. Sorry, I've got better things to do. Can we end it? <laughs> <Probably>.
0: <laughs> Jeez, sounds like I'm the nice one here. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on. And, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you?
2: Uh, Instagram is probably best at the Physique Coach AU, um, or on my website, www.physiquecoach.com.au.
0: Fantastic. And you know, I did try searching up your, uh, your podcast prep brain, but are and, but unfortunately like the episodes were unavailable. Are you planning on restarting that podcast, you know, anytime in the future?
2: Oh yeah, no, I just canceled my, um, I canceled my bank card because I, I realized that I had 500 different subscriptions coming out for services that like no longer operate because of the virus. So I'm like, I, it's too difficult for me to go through and delete all of them. And, um, yeah, I got an email saying that they like cancel the account. So I've just got to wait for a new card to come in. And it'll start oh, again.
0: I see. Because I was like, man, they're here, but I can't listen. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, no, no, Prep brain's still going. So that's on Spotify and iTunes. Um, and there's probably it's not a huge amount of episodes on there. I kind of just do it when I feel like it, you know, like when I feel like I've got something on the tip of my tongue that I've got to get off there. Um, I, just, uh, I just ramble on that for, you know, a good 20, 40 minutes.
0: Yeah, it's good. Yeah, well, once your subscription is back, I definitely look forward to tuning in. <laughs>
2: you reminded me to do that today so (laughs) that's
0: good all right well um guys if you enjoyed this episode please remember to tell your family and friends about it take a screenshot post it to your instagram stories make sure to tag kyle tag jack tag myself tag the bodybuilding dietitians and we'll catch you next week thanks guys